Y'all, today's sermon is going to be kind of a culmination. It's going to be kind of a culmination of a lot of sermons that y'all have heard me preach already over over the last year, year, year and a half, 15 months, however long it's been. Uh, Because we've had a common theme. There's been a common theme, a recurring theme, uh, all about discipleship and all about prayer and all about the Holy Spirit and all about living sanctified, holy, and and spirit-filled lives. And, uh, you know, last time we met in Broxton, two weeks ago, we talked about repentance. Um, and not a call for non-Christians to repent. Don't get me wrong. Non-Christians should definitely, should definitely repent. And we hope, that, we hope that they do. We hope that people come to a relationship with Christ. But more specifically, when we met at Broxton last Sunday, or two Sundays ago, we talked about our repentance. We talked about our need to take these deep looks inside of our own hearts and minds... And, and see if we're truly following, honestly, if we're truly following the will of God, what we know to be the will of God, searching our hearts and, and, and coming to the point where we can admit, hey, you know, I've got some sin in my life, whether it be as individuals or whether it be as entire church communities or, or, or the entire uh, body of believers. Um, it's very imperative, especially during this time, I believe, to really do some deep soul searching and see See what we may be doing, again, as individuals and, and as the body of Christ. See where we may be playing a role into some of this stuff that we're seeing going on within our culture. Um, before that, the week before that, over at Oak Grove, we talked about the lost art of confession, which is also a part of, which is also a part of repentance. It's, it's an int- a very um, important part of that process. Confession. And being willing to being willing to admit our faults, our shortcomings, and of course our sins. We don't necessarily take that to a clerical person or a clergy member. We can do that with anybody in the body of Christ. There are certain people in my life, most of them are clergy, that I feel comfortable talking to about some of this stuff. People that I know that will not share this information with other people. Because as I told you last time, I am imperfect. And any preacher or pastor who, told, who tells you otherwise is either foolish or a liar. But there are people that I feel comfortable confessing sins to. And I do that pretty frequently because just like with you, just like with us as, as, as bigger bodies of Christians, after confession and after repentance comes an awakening. An awakening within our hearts, an awakening in our minds and subsequently, a change. When our heart changes, our outward behavior changes. That's the process. When our heart changes, when we make that 180 degree, degree turn that is repentance, and remember I said that um, again last time, um, that repentance basically just means changing our mind. That's what it means. It means saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not walking, I'm doing something wrong. I'm thinking something wrong. I'm behaving in a way that is inconsistent with the will of God. And it's about changing my mind, making that admission, and making that 180-degree turn. That's all repentance is. I think, I think the word repentance gets a bad rap a lot of times because we picture the street preacher, the street preacher yelling at us and then pointing a finger in our face. That's, 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 that's ugliness. And I don't personally think that that brings about true repentance anyway. But anyway, over the last year and a half, I've talked to you about how the church, how the church, not necessarily our church, but the church, particularly in the, uh, in, the, in the larger American culture, has succumbed or has given in to what I call, and I've heard other people refer to it as a half, 
gospel. Y'all remember me talking about this? The half gospel? And I think that's what a lot of people preach and teach, and I think that's what a large majority, particularly of the evangelical church, has embraced, is this half gospel. It's this gospel that, that allows for God's forgiveness without any real call to discipleship. It allows for God's forgiveness and it allows for us being reconciled into a good and right relationship with our Creator without a real call to follow Jesus, without a real call to be actual disciples. Are y'all with me on that one? I think this is so important. I think it's so important because we're selling ourselves short. More importantly, we're selling God short when we fail to do this. I love that I'm forgiven. I love that I am in a right relationship with Christ, with God, with my Creator. I love that one day I'm going to be with Him and with you guys and all the saints that have come before us. I find comfort in that. But I don't think God saved me just so I can die and go to heaven. I don't think that God saves us just so we can, and y'all have heard me say this before, I don't think that God saves us just, be, just so we can get our get-out-of-hell-free card. That is certainly part of the process. That is certainly part of the comfort that we can have with being Christians. But that's not the end of the story. I want Jesus now. I want Christ now. I want to live into that, that discipleship that we are called to live into. And that's what we're missing out. That's what we're missing out on when, when we buy into this half gospel. It's also a gospel, by the way, that allows us to basically keep on being the people that we were before we were saved. Ask yourselves this. Do, do I, or does the church, the greater body of Christians, do we, more, do we really stand out among anybody else? Anybody else we know, non-Christians, do we really stand out? Because we should. It should be painfully obvious to people that we are Christ's followers. We should, we, should, we, we should stand out among this world, but do we? On the whole, I would say no. We might not drink heavily. We might not steal. might not kill people. might not drop a curse word, a four-letter word. Which, by, by the way, isn't it kind of funny that we're more offended by four-letter words than we are the suffering of other people? Think about that. But anyway, short of a few, short of a few very obvious sins, do we really look different than the world around us? Because Jesus said that he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. But again, we've shortchanged ourselves and we've shortchanged God by not accepting the full and awakened life. That's our word for the day, awakened life that he offers us. Most of us, most of us, most people, including Christians, go through life half asleep completely unaware of the supernatural, Holy Spirit-filled life that is available to us through living out and embracing the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's, why, here's how we look at like, more like the rest of the world. What are we driven, what drives us? 
What drives us in life the most? What do we think about the most? Is it our economic pursuits? Our worldly concerns? Our endless desire to be constantly stimulated by all kind of forms of entertainment and other carnal pleasures? Because if we were honest, I think a lot of us would have to admit this is where we seek a lot of our fulfillment. This is where we seek to be validated in our lives. What validates us? What makes us worthy? Is it our job title? Is it our bank account? Because in all honesty, if we're following Christ the way we're called to, none of those things should affirm who we are if we are truly Christians and living into that discipleship. I've told you that I believe wholeheartedly that God is using this pandemic. I think he's doing this, using this pandemic to do something incredible. I don't know what that is because I'm not God, and I'm not even going to pretend that I know what that is. But one thing I do believe with every fiber of my being is that God is calling his church to wake up. God, I believe in this pandemic, is calling his church to wake up, to live these Holy Spirit-filled, awakened lives, these Holy Spirit-filled, awakened lives, which make us not look like the world around us, which makes it very obvious that we are Christians, that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Those people are different. Those people look different. Those people talk different. That's what people should be saying about us. That's how we should be so easily identified. Unfortunately, in most areas, a lot of times we just look like everybody else around us. We talk like everybody else around us. We're concerned more about the things people around us are concerned with than we are about the matters of God. Our scripture reading today comes from um, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, and it's just a few words in, in Ephesians 5. Y'all don't, don't even have to look it up if you don't want to. Um, but it's Ephesians 5, verse 14. And I'm just pulling a few words out of that. And in this letter to the church of Ephesus, Paul writes, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. A lot of times you'll hear people use this verse to, uh, to evangelize non-Christians. Because that's, like, that's what I said last time we were here. We like to point those fingers. So a lot of times when people quote this verse, they're trying to evangelize non-Christians. Tell them to wake up. Funny thing is... This letter wasn't written to non-Christians. This letter was written to Christians, the church at Ephesus. Not only that, but if you will do a little historic digging, what you'll find out is the church at Ephesus was one of the best churches that you will find in the New Testament. They were morally upright. They were following all the rules. They were doing all the right things. But they were asleep. Maybe they weren't drinking. Maybe they weren't killing people. Maybe they weren't 
doing all these obvious things, but they were asleep and Paul knew it. He says, wake up. A gentleman by the name of A.W. Tozer one time wrote about this verse. He said, the church at Ephesus were morally good, but they were unenlightened. They were religious, but they were unanointed. It is perfectly possible for a good, faithful, and loyal church member to be spiritually asleep, being in a spiritual, spiritual state that parallels natural sleep. I think this is what God's calling us to. Again, I don't, I, I don't, think that, I, I don't pretend to know what, what the end game is here. But in this moment where we are globally, globally, I think Christ is calling his church to awaken. Let's be honest, folks. Look at our crowd this morning. Are we awakened? Do we want a fellowship? Do we want to pray with and for one another? Let's ask the hard questions. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. This is his invitation to us. This is his invitation as, as Christians. It's the very reason that we were put on earth. If you want to know what your purpose is, that's it. This is the reason that we were put on earth, to live these awakened lives. Why would we want anything less? Why would we want anything less? Why would we want to be guided by all of these things that the world loves and is guided by? I don't want to be guided by a bank account. I don't want to be guided by my job title, although I do love my job title. I want God to be first. I want God's will to be first. Why do we settle? Why do we do all these, all these other pursuits? Why do we live for entertainment? I don't want to be entertained, man. I want to be, I want to be living a full life with God. All these things that sidetrack us. All of these things as Christians that we get involved in just like the rest of the world. All of these things that we put before God. And what have I told you before? That is. It's an idol. It never ceases to amaze me how God kind of brings um, a lot of things full circle in my life. I didn't have any idea, you know, a year and a half ago, 15 months ago, that I was going to be preaching this message. Um, if you receive the newsletter back on Monday, you'll, you'll know that I did not even intend on using this verse. I intended you on using um, Totally different piece of scripture. But every now and then, God will drop something in my lap. And uh, this week was the case. Um, it just kind of summed up everything that I've been trying to, to, to preach over the last year. Um, some of you guys are, some of you, I know Terry is, I know Crystal is. Um, some of y'all are familiar with a, with a website, seedbed.com. Um, it is a website. It, it's, a, it's a publishing company, and it's run by Asbury Seminary, which is a, which is a, a Wesleyan seminary up in uh, Kentucky. Very good resource. Very good resource. Uh, if it, it, for any, it, anything that you want to dive into um, as far as your Christian life or theology or doctrine, I highly, highly recommend that. If you check out our Broxton uh, family face, Facebook group every morning, I've been doing this every morning since March or April, I post what's called the daily text. And that is a daily devotion. It goes straight, straight through Scripture. It goes through entire books of the Bible. And you get a piece of Scripture every day, and you, and you get a... And most of these things, most of these things are kind of hard to swallow, to be honest with you. They're difficult, but they're great. I would encourage you guys to check that out. But anyway, um, they were offering a course. They were offering a, a, a study over the next several weeks. And hey, here's our word again, the awakened life. 
And this is this is this is the name of the course. They'll send you they'll send you a book if you want to if you want to do it. Um, and basically, it's kind of a combination between an online course and, of course, you're following the book together. So I got to read in the introductory portion of this book, and it absolutely <laughs> summed up everything that I've been trying to get out for 12 months, 15 months, everything, everything. On page 9 of this book, the author, whose name is J.D. Walt, writes this. He says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here it is. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get pardoned from the penalty of sin, freedom from the power of sin, deliverance from the grip of death, and an awakening to the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live powerfully for the good of others and the glory of God. Who do we live powerfully for today? To live powerfully for the good of others, for the good of me, for the good of others. In the glory of God. Jesus asked only this of us. Jesus asked only that we acknowledge our broken selves as failed sinners. Confession, repentance. That we trust Him as our Savior and that we follow Him as our Lord. Following Jesus does not mean an easy life. However, it does lead to a life of power and purpose. Joy in the face of suffering and profound, even world-changing love for God and people. What an awesome statement. That is the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not that half gospel that so many of us have been taught and so many of us have embraced. That is, in just a few short sentences, the full gospel offered to us through Jesus Christ. It, in, it includes that assurance for the afterlife. We got that. But it is far more than an eternal fire insurance policy. It's not a ticket to health and wealth, as a lot of people want to believe and a lot of people want to teach and a lot of people sell. It's not a self-help program, and it's not a simple act of good ethics and morals, although those are certainly part of it. All of those things by themselves are void of the supernatural power of God. The gospel is this. It is nothing less, nothing less than the manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth through us. How awesome is that? The manifestation of the kingdom of God lived out through us. I literally just got chills. It's not my calling to get out of hell and continue to live like the rest of the world. It is to embrace the kingdom of God that Jesus teaches so much about. It is, what an awesome invitation. What an awesome invitation that is. The manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth, and we get to be a part of it. Let me return to the book real quick. What does it mean to be awakened? The author makes it pretty simple. He says, awakening, awakening is the transformational process and the outcome of following Jesus Christ. It's the transformational process and the outcome of following Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be awakened. It's a personal and communal, that's all us, movement from darkness to life, from death to life, from chaos to order. From despair to joy, from anxiety. Who's got some anxiety today? From anxiety to peace and from brokenness to wholeness. It starts with you and me. It starts with you and me and it flows out as individuals. It starts with you and me as individuals. From there it flows out into our homes. 
We carry this to our homes and we see our homes flourish. Then it flows out into our churches. Then it flows out into our communities. And then it becomes a movement, a movement of the kingdom of God. Love the book of Acts, Terry Steptoe. I love the book of Acts and you know that. That's what the kingdom of God to me looks like. Acts 2, Acts 4. Most of us, hopefully, most of us have been awakened to the first half of the gospel. I hope. And I, I know most of you pretty well, and I believe you have. Most of us have been awakened to that first half of the gospel. That's what we call justification in the church. But this is where we get bogged down a lot of times. We just, we just for some reason, we don't go any further. We don't want to go any further. True personal awakening happens when we're constantly moved towards that idea of sanctification. And I know I'm running out of time. I don't have the, the idea, the, uh, the, the time to get into what sanctification is. But it's, it's the process of being restored to God's image. That's what it is. That's what we're called to do, by the way. You know, we were originally formed to reflect the image of God. Y'all know that, right? Remember Genesis, Adam, Eve? That's what we were originally made to be. As Christians... We get to live into that. It's, it's not easy. But that's what God gives us. He gives us that ability to continue in that process of sanctification, to be remade once again into the image of God. So that's why I'm so passionate about this stuff. And that's why, that, that, that's why I do some of the things I do. If y'all ever wonder, why, why does our pastor do some of the things that he does? Why is, he, why is he making this meeting up? Why is, he, why is he doing this thing at the Parsonage and doing this thing on Tuesdays? That's why. That's why. And I'm not, I'm not in the business of making people feel guilty about not being involved, but I am in the business of giving you opportunities and giving myself opportunities. We, what I say two weeks ago, we, we cannot make revival happen, but we can posture ourselves to receive it. The Holy Spirit does all that work. That's His job. Our job is to posture ourselves to receive it. Through these things that God gives us. Through these things that God tells us about. Confession, repentance, living awakened lives. I'm going to tell you something, folks. You're not going to find anywhere in the New Testament that calls for passive Christianity. Nowhere in the New Testament are you going to find a call towards passive, weak Christianity. The early church consisted of people who were called to an active faith, and so are we. Let me give you a couple examples, a couple scripture examples. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured on the cross, scorning at shame, and he sat down at the right hand on the throne of God. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. Again, this is the active faith that we are called to. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died. You died. I died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
What are our minds fixed on? Are they fixed on elections? Ooh, stepped on some toes. Or are they fixed on God? Because last time I checked, Jesus Christ was my Savior. Not a president. What are our eyes fixed on? Things of this world or things of God? Finally, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I ask you again, church, why would we want to settle for anything less than the supernatural power and the love offered to us? Through following Jesus. Aren't we tired? Here it is. Here's the conclusion. Here's the, here's the big ending. Aren't we tired of living these mundane, chaotic, and self-seeking lives just like everybody else? Where does it end? With the pursuits of the world. When, when, when is the point that I ever, ever, ever will get satisfied with all the things that the world tells me will make me happy? Here's your answer. It won't. It won't. Why do we keep doing this? Aren't we tired of that? Aren't we tired of the anxiety and the chaos and, and trying to one-up somebody all the time and, 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 and impress people and validate ourselves by our jobs and whatever else we think validates us. Why do we do that? That's what they do out there, folks. That ain't us. And that it's not our calling. Don't we want all that Jesus has to offer? Because if so, it starts here. It starts today when we say we're not going to settle for anything less than a Spirit-empowered, awakened life. Not the life offered by the world. Scripture from Hebrew and Colossians doesn't sound like a passive faith to me. <laughs> it sounds like a faith that's lived out. And this is our calling, church. Crystal, can you come on up and play a little... Play a little something for us. This is our call, and this is our time to respond. Are we going to keep looking like the rest of the world, or are we going to embrace the awakened life offered to us freely through Christ? I think this is our point in time, folks. And I don't pretend to be some kind of prophet. But what I'm telling you, I believe in my whole heart. I think this is our time. I think God's calling us to something big. I also think God's filtering some folks out. How are we going to respond in this time?